back in 2015, I was living in Wilmington, North Carolina over the summer. There was a couple albums that came out that year. One was Brandon Flowers' second solo album, The Desired Effect. There was also Currents by Tame Impala. And in that same summer, the Arcs released their first single. Was Stay in My Corner, backed with Tomato Can. I've always been a huge Black Keys fan. And when this single got released, it was vinyl only. That was the only way you could get it. Uh, I just heard it was a new project from uh, from Dan from the Black Keys, as well as Homer Steinwise, Nick Moffshone, Richard Swift, and Leon Michaels. And I was intrigued because Nick Moffshone and Homer Steinwise were Amy Winehouse's rhythm section. Um, and Nick Moffshone is one of my favorite bass players. So I was super stoked. Um, and later that year, they released Yours Dreamily, their first album. And it came out just a couple of weeks after I moved to Nashville. This was like the big thing for me that I was anticipating. Like I was listening to that single on repeat the whole summer, uh, getting ready to move to the place where most of the album was recorded at with all of these players that I really admired and respected who were all very decorated. Um, between their work with, like, Richard Swift, who has since died. Um, I think he died in, like, 2017 or 2018. But he was a, a producer, and he also a solo artist as well, but he produced The Shins and a couple other indie bands like that, kind of in the Northwest um, whole Portland and Seattle scene. He was, he was big into that. But... Uh, I ended up moving to Nashville. The album was released. I fucking love the album. It was so different than the Black Keys. I felt like it really highlighted a different aspect of Dan's songwriting and his production. Um, and as time has gone on, it's it's always been something that I, I think back to. I think back to that album and riding the bus at uh, my sales job that I had in downtown Nashville every morning at 5 a.m. So uh, the Arcs just released their new album, Electrophonic Chronic, and most of it, it th this whole record is really, uh, to me, after listening to it a few times, a tribute to Richard Swift. Um, but uh, yeah, here is the, uh, the first song that was released from it, Keep On Dreaming.
Dreaming, and today joining me is Danny Shaw from Eat Sleep Rock Nashville. What's up? So that song I saw performed live at the Ryman back in 2015. The Arcs went on a, a tour, and their their setup was really interesting live because Richard Swift was um, a multi instrumentalist for the band. So a lot of songs he would also play drums on, like they had the two drummer set up on stage. So on the left side of the stage, it was the two drums right next to each other. And then right to his uh, side, he also had a keyboard. And some of the songs he would play bass on, but it was like fuzz bass. Yeah. So he was basically treating it almost like a tuba. So Nick Moffshon was still playing like groove bass. And then Richard Swift, he would have these parts where he would go and pick up the bass behind the drum set. It was like a little Mustang bass with maybe like a Big Muff or something like that on it. And it basically doubled parts to make it sound like a, like a horn. It was really fucking cool. But um, when they played live, they had kind of like a the Liquid Light Show. You know those guys that do the Liquid Light Shows in yeah. Nashville? Mm-hmm. Um, they had something similar in their background. And uh, Leon Michaels, he plays keys and sometimes horn. And they also had three mariachi singers. They had this band uh, open for them. It's like, I I can't remember exactly what their names were, but they also did background vocals on the entire album. They brought them out on tour. So that 
the ending of uh, Keep on Dreaming, the uh part, um, live, they, they would completely, all of the instruments would drop out and it would just be Dan and the girls singing. And it was fucking incredible. I always wanted a studio version of this song, but um, they didn't release it until very recently. Um, the single came out, I think, sometime in November. You said it's the opening track, right? Yeah, it's the opening track on the album. I'll admit, I haven't listened to the album yet. Yeah. No, that's good. I have heard that song, though. That wasn't the first time I've I've listened to that. Yeah, it's good because we're getting uh, initial reactions. I I feel like this is... The arcs, in general, are very different than all the other stuff that Dan does. It almost seems like it's his uh, his passion project. Yeah, I could see that. It's been really cool to see, like, the the evolution of Dan Arbach because, you know, um, the Black Keys got criticized in early on in their career yeah. as like, you know, kind of being this or that. I mean, Sellouts. if you, yeah, if you know, you know, you kind of know, but, um, and I feel like specifically Dan has shown that he is, he's a very valuable part of the music creation process through and through and like, not just, a guitar player or a singer or a songwriter, but, um, you know, as a producer as well. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, you just don't, you don't see that as much, um, with rock artists in particular. And I think that's notable. And the fact kind of basically, I guess what I'm getting around to is, um, you know, I think it's cool to see someone do all that, but then kind of, in my opinion, come full circle and just be, creative and that's what when i listen to the arcs it seems like is that he's truly being creative in the way that he wants to he doesn't have to think about marketability and selling out arenas right but because he is who he is he will i mean from i always have to take it here but from a business perspective it's genius yeah well that was something that we had talked about maybe about a month ago um and i we sat down and i showed you the arcs because you Maybe knew about them, but didn't know much about them. And uh, I was raving about them uh, just because of the fact that, A, the the rhythm section of Nick and um, Homer are so fucking good. I mean, they, they played on uh, half of Back to Black by Amy Winehouse wow. of that album. So they played on like Back to Black, You Know I'm No Good, Rehab, Love is a Losing Game. Yeah, they played on a lot Hits. of those songs. Yeah, and they also played with like Charles Bradley and Lee Fields and a lot of that Daptone stuff as well. Yeah, so and, real seasoned players, yeah, for sure. Real seasoned players, and it was back, I think, in maybe like 2011 or 2012, uh, where the Black Keys. I don't know if they had it before this, but they um, they added uh, Nick Mofshone and Leon Michaels to their players live so there was a short stint of time where they were kind of like the backing musicians for the black keys oh cool um on keys and on bass yeah i've seen live footage like videos of them where you know they have you know a bass player and Mm -hmm. you know a keys player or whatever and i i had kind of always always like wondered about that yeah they they hire people out to go on the road with them um but yeah i I was What's that? Cheaters. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I'm just kidding. <laughs> um, this next song is Eyes. Here it is. Eyes. Eyes. 
is how their music is like a mix of rock soul and psychedelic music you can kind of hear multiple influences in the band based on the mix of players that it is yeah and there's definitely like even a little bit of like funk in there too i think but um yeah it was a really funky baseline yeah yeah that's exactly what i was gonna say the the bass kind of has some some funkiness to it, but uh, yeah, really heavy on the psych, like the psychedelic stuff, which you don't see much from a lot of his other projects, but what he's produced is what I feel like has given it away, because didn't he produce, is it Tell Me I'm Pretty by yeah. Cage, the, Cage the Elephant? That's a very psychedelic album, too. Yeah, it is, and he, uh, that was the same year that um, this, uh, or the first Arcs album came out. It was 2015. So I saw, I think the Tell Me I'm Pretty came out like December 18th, yeah, 2015. Okay. And they had a show at the basement East, uh, KG Elephant did. And yeah. then that Sunday, I think it was December 20th. I might have my dates fucked up, but it, sure. was, it was about this time. Um, the Arcs played that Sunday night. So I had like a whole fucking, even though Dan Auerbach, he didn't show up to play with KG Elephant, I had like a whole Dan Auerbach music weekend. Yeah, when you know, obviously, like they know each other, they're all Nashville, quote unquote, locals. I know Dan truly is. Um, I'm pretty sure that Cage, like they might not be true locals here, but I think they have a 
house or something here. Yeah. Um, um, my friend John, actually, his neighbor used to be uh, Matt from KG Elephant. He would always see him smoking cigarettes out on his front Matt porch. Matt Schultz? Yeah. Dude, okay, have I told you the story about... Uh, well, I've met Matt Schultz two times. Have, okay. I t- have I told you either of the stories? You told me one of them, but for the sake of the podcast, okay, tell yeah. them here. Okay, so the first time I met Matt Schultz, I was on a Delta flight from Nashville to LA, and it was just to go see family. And I remember sitting down... It's What's funny about it is I was sitting like further up like to the in front first of the class. plane. I, w- I was not actually in first class. No, I wasn't. But I remember seeing this guy as he got on the plane that um, he just looked familiar and I couldn't put my finger on it. And also we were leaving Nashville. So, you know, and I go to shows and shit like that. So I was like, maybe it's just some rocker dude that is around Nashville or whatever, which, you know, I didn't even realize how true that is. Anyway, go through the whole flight. Don't really think much of it. And then I see him come up and I see him pull down a guitar from the overhead, an acoustic guitar case, and it says CTE on it. And it's like engraved, it's not like a sticker, it's like engraved into the, into the case. And I'm like, okay, hold up. And then I, I hate to admit, but I actually did like pull up my phone just to make sure because I didn't want to make a fool of myself. And I made sure it was him. I just picture you holding up your phone. Like in in your eyesight, and then he's right next to it, and you go back and forth, and you're like, "Yeah, it's yeah, him." Yeah, pretty pretty much. Yeah, in in so many uh, words, that's pretty much what happened. But uh, so anyway, I see him, and I kind of like make a point to get close to him, and then we get off the plane, and I just go up to him, and I'm like, "Hey, excuse me, um, are you Matt Schultz?" And he's like, "Yeah, I am," and I was like, "I'm walking towards like baggage claim. Can we just like walk and talk for a second? And he's like, "Yeah, absolutely." And we just literally walked through, like, LAX, like, literally the airport, just walking to baggage claim, just had a conversation. And I asked him about, you know, what what he was out for, um, like, in L.A. for. And, you know, if he's, I don't know if he's, like, still in Nashville, but he was telling me about, you know, being in Nashville, kind of, you know, located in Nashville. And I remember one thing that did stick out to me is I was just curious. I was like if you could offer any advice to someone who's trying to do what you're doing at the level that you're doing, what would it be? And his answer was play as many shows as you can take every opportunity, play, 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 get out there. And I was just like, really? And he was like, yep. And I told him that I went to MTSU and lived in Murfreesboro at the time. And he was like, oh, yeah, we used to. He actually said that they used to play house shows out in Murfreesboro. Oh, my God. He mentioned that. That's badass, Yeah, he mentioned that. And so that was the first interaction. I didn't ask him for a picture or an autograph. It was just a very casual conversation. And then the second time I met him was at the last, I believe, so far... Paramore is back together, right? Yeah, now, they're back okay, together. Right before, Not all the original members, but they're back together. So the before the original members took their last hiatus, they played one last Big Bang show at Municipal Auditorium because, you know, Haley Williams lives in Franklin. So it She's was like, from Franklin, isn't she? I believe so. So it was like a home... It was like, come home from tour, play one big last show before... You know, retire misery business. <laughs> that's exactly what she did yeah. at that show. She literally said, this is going to be the last time we play it. I was at that show when she said that. 
Um, she did it one more time. Anyway, I was backstage working security for the record. Um, <laughs> and I was backstage at that show. Actually, I was the guard that was at her dressing room. And Matt Schultz was back there. I think he's friends with the ju- the drummer. I believe the drummer's name is Joey something. I forgot his last name. Um, but it seemed as though they were friends because they were like, you could tell alcohol was involved and they were yeah. like kind of running around just being goofy and dancing and stuff. And, uh, but the side note, but just a funny story about that night. And I'm sorry to go on a tangent, but that night, Haley Williams's parents and her little brother and sister, or I think step little brother and sister, I'm not exactly sure, came to the dressing room and tried to get in and they didn't have the right passes. And I I had to be the guy to tell them that they couldn't go into their daughter's dressing room. There's no better guy to do that th- than you, Danny. It didn't feel that way at the time, but now I definitely agree. Because he st- honestly, dad started to get kind of pissed. And I was just like, he was like, do you understand that's my daughter? And I was like, it's literally, he was like, I'm going to go in if I want. And I was like, no, you're not. It's literally my job to make sure that no one with, without the right pass goes in here. So you can say whatever you want. But Did it get cleared up? It definitely did, very quickly. And I tried to help it get cleared up because I didn't want to get in trouble yeah. with fucking Haley Williams directly or her family. So yeah, I just I got on my radio and I was like, hey, her parents are here. She's they're trying to get in. They don't have the right pass. Can we get a tour? Because usually that kind of thing is on a tour manager. They the venue distributes, you know, the right passes out um, like for the event or no, sorry. The tour manager distributes the passes out to everyone and then gives the venue which passes can get into which areas. And then that gets distributed to guards. So I saw Matt Schultz once in Nashville. I mean, I saw him at that the KG Elephant show, obviously, but um, he was at Frothy Monkey at twelve uh, on Twelve South one day. I was there on a date with this this girl. We were meeting up for coffee. Yeah, and uh, I saw him and a couple other dudes. I think it was some of the other dudes in Cage, and uh, he was just there, there kind of chilling, drinking coffee. I yeah. imagine they were either getting ready to record or they just got done recording because it was like at like. 5 or 6 p.m. in the afternoon. Yeah. They're very, or at least Matt, he seems like a very low-profile kind of guy. Um, He seems like he's, well, he flies coach. I can tell you that for sure because yeah. I was on an airplane with him. It's very economical. Yeah. No, and he didn't, you know, no private jets or, uh, you know, even first class. So Here is Heaven is a Place.
Heaven knows I need you, lady. Obsession thinking of you. Depressing when you leave me, baby. So the night that I saw the arcs at the Ryman, I was on a date with this girl 
And uh, this is a story I told recently on the podcast, but um, she always, she wasn't a big fan of weed. And she was like, I think it's annoying whenever people get like shirts or like fucking hats or shit like that with weed on it. And they wear it to let everybody know that they're stoner. Mm-hmm. But the arcs, they had this really badass shirt uh, that I saw. And it did have a pot leaf on it, and she was there with me, and I bought the shirt. She kind of rolled her eyes, and then later, like halfway through the show, she's like, I'm not feeling well. I'm going to step outside. Um, and so she she left, and uh, we, we broke up not long after that. It wasn't too much longer. But yeah, Heaven is a Place. Um, that's the third track off of the new record. Uh, I, this whole record, really, it's a continuation of their first one. It almost kind of reminds me of the Grateful Dead in some ways, hmm. um, except they have like, like the arcs have more specific parts and everything's more orchestrated, but there's still like that jammy element to it. Like that chorus really mu- reminds me of something that Jerry Garcia would do, maybe even in like one of the Jerry Garcia, like his Jerry Garcia band or something like that. I could see that. Yeah. No, it's very like, it's like kind of free flowing, but it, there's also like, you can tell there's some thought behind it. Mm-hmm. Um, on a different note, I think that, I, I hope this isn't insulting to the arcs, but do you know the band Passion Pit? Uh, yeah, I know Passion Pit. There's, I only know that one song that they had. Which one? Um, Sleepyhead. Okay, I think I know that one. But that that was like their hit, their single or whatever. Yeah, they um there's like some elements of it that kind of they used like a lot of like synths and like very trippy kind of sounds. Yeah. And I feel like that last song that we listened to was very much like I don't know, visually like I was thinking of like someone fucking smoking weed like in a room just like watching the smoke, you know what yeah. I mean? Like it has that vibes. It's like yeah. just sitting in a room, just fucking smoking weed, you know? Definitely. Um, here is Caliphone Interlude. <laughs> That one reminds me of a cowboy movie right before 
like when the cowboy there's a little montage of him training for battle and he's getting ready for the big fight yeah this would is what would play dude this is getting spot on guns dude. ready and absolutely all that i was thinking the same thing what is that uh tremolo or that effect or what is uh, that? um that's uh like vibrato i think he yeah. was using probably some kind of vintage fender amp on that yeah, and he uses dude. a bunch of weird guitars. Sometimes bop, 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 where it like yeah. breaks the notes up. Mm-hmm. That's yeah, that's classic cowboy shit right there. I have a, uh, I do have a Pat and a Dan story. Even though this podcast is technically about the arcs, I'll tell the Pat story first. But uh, when I worked for Trojan Labor, it's uh, a day labor company here in Nashville. I was a manager for them, and I worked at Nissan and I worked at Bridgestone. Um, and Nissan is where the Tennessee Titans play, and the Browns were in town. And I would have to basically go around the whole fucking stadium and check on workers that were in concession stands. So if there was, like, an issue and workers were fucking off, I had to go and be like, yo, what's going on? Restock that cheese sauce, son. It, exactly. It was shit like that. <laughs> it, where there was, there was, like, leaders in each of the stands, and Trojan Labor basically provided the overflow. Yeah, uh, for workers. But what ended up happening um, this one particular day when the, the Titans were playing the Cleveland Browns, um, I was going down an escalator and Pat was going up an escalator. Oh, shit. and I saw him and I was like, oh, shit, that's Patrick Carney. He's a giant dude. He's really tall. Yeah, no, I've I've seen that before. And another story I have about Dan. I don't know if it was him, but I'm pretty sure it was. I was out driving for Uber, and um, if it was him, I saw him broken down on one of his motorcycles, like in a random parking lot, not far from his studio. Oh, shit. It was some vintage, like, badass motorcycle, because he he rides all sorts of shit. Um, But he was, like, working on it, trying to get it to work again. Um, So it was a random Dan story as well. You're pretty sure it was him? I'm pretty sure it was him. It I'd looked it. exactly like him, and he rides fucking vintage motorcycles. Okay, so this isn't a story for meeting either of them, but one time working for Crew One back in the dark days. Um, the before times? The before four times, yeah. <laughs> I uh, <laughs> I got this. So the way it worked with Crew One is that you, in most of those uh, companies, for those who don't know, Crew One, it's like a, um, it's a very... It's kind of like the overflow production company, really, when, you know, you can't get... Can people... I say what I think? I Go for it. Okay. I, it sucks. They, it's terrible. Yeah. It's they like the hire, lowest of the low. They hire fucking meth heads, straight up. And college students. And trying college to make students. a quick yes. buck, buck, like me. Yeah. I wasn't doing meth. But um, anyway, I got this... So I didn't even know what it was. Like, I think they put it... Because when you would go online and you'd request jobs... Like, a lot of times it would tell you, like, clear-cut, like, you know, Bridgestone, fucking Municipal. You know, it was very easy to see where you were going. Uh, Nissan Stadium. But there was one where I didn't, like, recognize where this job was. But it, I saw that it was, it tells you how many, like, people they need for the job. So that way you know if you can request it or not or if it's worth requesting. And it was, like, a crew of, like, maybe 10 tops or maybe, like, five. So I was like, this seems low-key. I'm down, and it was, um, it's over on, I think it's Humphreys Street or something like that. 
Um, I can't remember the address, but I could find it. If we went on the street, I could point the house out. But basically, it's Kings of Leon's house. And it's very low-key, but once you go inside, it's like it's a house. And then they have this big, like, if I had to guess, like maybe like 30 by 50 garage basically like steel building with like a little one foot step up stage like the steel building here pretty much but bigger bigger nicer basically insulated insulated and dude a wall of guitars and basically what i was there to do was they also have like these big shipping crates where they store a bunch of gear and shit and they also have a recording studio inside this house and our job was to basically collect a bunch of equipment and load the equipment onto different trucks that were going in different places. And let's just say, while I was there, we loaded a lot of gear and guitars specifically that said the Black Keys on them. So you know that they jammed together. And there was, let's just say there was, there was something in that room, like being in that room, looking around, you could just be like, you can tell that this is their personal space and that songs get written and ideas come out in this room. And to just be there was incredible, even though the musicians weren't present. Yeah, you can feel the vibe of a place. I And living in Nashville for so long, you start to go to these different places. And it's like I've I've wondered to myself, like, have I ever taken a shit on a toilet that like Johnny Cash or Waylon Jennings did? You know what I mean? Probably. I think I have. I've been to Johnny Cash's old house. Out in Hendersonville? Uh, yes, I think it is in Hendersonville. It was a while ago. It was, uh, f- I was while I was working uh, my internship at an artist management company that I won't name. Um, but uh, yeah, it was story for later. <laughs> Here is River.
That one's a little darker. Yeah, definitely. Um, I feel like there was a lot of soul, uh, like very strong soul vibes. Six, eight time. Yeah. It's like a soul ballad. Yeah, for sure. I'll say this about that song. I bet Dan played bass on it. I don't think that was Nick on that one. Why do you say that? Uh, So on the first album, Dan played bass on most of the tracks. There was only maybe three or four that Nick actually played on. Nick is a lot busier of a player than Dan is. Uh, in that particular one, it was all very much groove-based, and there wasn't a lot mo- of moving around. I mean, it was so cool, don't get me wrong. I'm yeah. not talking shit or anything like that. But Dan also, he plays bass on all of the Black Keys stuff, yeah. and I feel like I can hear it when it's him. Yeah, it's just very like straight to the point. Um, very straightforward. Not a lot of, again, not in a negative way, but finesse. The, it's not the bass is not the focus. Yeah, when he plays, I feel like it's used as a it's, tool to em, you know emphasize the parts that he wants. Yeah, and to emphasize the groove. Yeah, um, which if you listen back to that second song, Eyes, that is Nick Moff shown like all fucking over that. You can hear his his style a lot. Yeah. Um, this next one is called Sunshine.
That's a real pretty one. Yeah, I loved the slide guitar, but also it was pretty. Those drums were messy at the end. I like in a good yeah. way. They were like very like there was a lot going on there. Yeah, there was a lot going on because it basically has like the first two thirds of it are a soul song, and then it just morphs into it's like when the the acid drop kicks in. Yeah, that's what it sounded like when it slowed down and it did the the those vocals came in. Yeah, exactly. Um, the it, la 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 la. Yeah, it yeah. sounds like when the acid kicks in. Dude, you know what song reminds me of that? Uh, you know, Happiness is a Warm Gun by the Beatles? Oh, yeah. That's a perfect Classic example song. of that because it's like so fast and like, it's kind of like, because it's like, Mother Superior dropped the gun. And then like right in the last like maybe minute or minute and a half, it's just Happiness. like, yeah, it just like comes in. It's like halftime. It's yeah. all fucking like, Real, like, a lot of open spaces, sonically, shit. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, dude. You know what I'm saying. I know exactly what you're saying. I think that's another reason why I love this band, though, is because they touch on so many different genres that I really like. Yeah. And they mix them together very well. It, every player has their part in this group. Yeah. Definitely. It it shows, too, that these songs are, like, really well thought out and put together artistically, not, you know, just, you know, verse, chorus, verse, chorus. It's not a vanity project. No, not at all. Okay, what do we have next? A Man Will Do Wrong. Here it is.
a cover of an old soul song it's originally by helen smith it's called uh, a woman will do wrong but they gender swapped it and covered it how dare they i know um i feel like no matter how hard he tries dan arbach can't stay away from the blues though yeah i mean yes i know it's a what'd you say a soul song but i mean it's musically though it it emulates the blues. Definitely, yeah. Yeah, it kind of has that classic chord progression, and then again with the, uh, another ballad with 6-8 time. Yeah, and then, you know, the song about, you know, how he's stay, men stay with their women even if they make them miserable. Yeah. The sob story, if you will. Yeah, it's Classic blues, man. A tale as old as time. Honestly, dude, we should write a blues song called Two Coffees. Oh, no. I'm not getting involved in that shit. Indy will do it with me. Honestly, I should do it with Indy. He would be down as fuck. That's all you guys. You guys have fun with that. You can can write with us, but you you can use an alias. People won't know it's you. I won't confirm or deny whether I will do that. Okay, this next one is Behind the Eyes. Calling names 
<laughs> that's what it reminded yeah, me of. Yeah, I could definitely feel that. Yeah, it was definitely... I feel like he... I feel like the, the album started very, like, funky and abstract, and then it kind of went back to his, like, his roots, you know? Yeah. The further the album goes along. Yeah. I don't say that in a negative way. Either. No, it, it's interesting because there's, like, a shift... Because the first half of the album is very um, psychedelic and kind of out there. And then slowly as it goes on, there's still psychedelic moments. It's, it's sure. But it's way more like rootsy and blues and soul influence. That's exactly how I feel. Like that one in particular, like, yeah, of course, I, w- I was making a joke. Don't, don't let me down by <laughs> yeah, the Beatles. Of course. But it also kind of reminds me of CCR a little bit. You know what I mean? That kind of Americana rock and roll. Um, it's way more psychedelic than CCR ever got. But. Yeah, definitely. But yeah, just kind of like that everyday working man kind of relatable shit. 100%. By the way, uh, congratulations to uh, John Fogarty who got the rights back to all of his songs. That's so awesome. It Honestly, it is awesome, dude. He's, I think, in his 70s, he... Re- wrote all of those songs when he was like 19 20 years old yeah and he's just now do you know what like the the price tags on on those things are like his i'm not 100 percent sure catalog. but it's i'm sure it's heavy um or hefty maybe someone cut him a deal because it was his songs yeah there there might have been a little bit of that but he released a video where he basically was signing the contract, and you, I was genuinely happy when when I fucking saw it because, dude, I love CCR. They're, they're probably, in my opinion, they're America's band. I think they're the greatest band. That that really summarizes what the American experience is. Yeah, that is true. Like that's why I said like everyday working man. Like they. They touch on a lot of that shit where it's like most bands, they have a, I mean, not most, I'm generalizing, but a lot of bands have a thing. The whole idea is to get yourself into a different place, but CCR is very much like, take a look around you. You know, this is what's going on, at least back at, at yeah. the time, not now. Well, I it's feel like- Still, a lot of it applies. It A lot of it applies to today because you, you listen to songs like Fortunate Son or Proud Mary. Yeah. But the one thing I've always thought, if aliens came down from outer space and they wanted to know what it felt like to be American, I would play them up around the bend. I'm yeah. like, this is what it's like to be American on four, uh, like an American on the Fourth of July. Hell what, yeah! That opening guitar lick, you know what I'm talking exactly. about? It yeah. just sounds red, white, and blue. Yeah, dude, it is. It's America, dude. And run through the jungle run through the jungle as well well so much of that music was like uh vietnam music too i know yeah that's why i said that okay here is backstage mess
was definitely one that Nick Mopshone played bass on. Okay. I could hear it. I could hear it in the playing because it's way more verbal as far as the playing goes. Um, who are they signed with? Easy Eye Sound, air quotes, but I think it's probably through Warner or one of the big, whoever distributes. But it's still like a major record label. Though. Yeah, well, it. I think Easy Eye is like a subsidiary of one of the, the major labels. I don't know for sure. But I'm pretty sure. I think it's kind of messed up that that label would still hold them to an album length to the point where they'd have to write a minute and a half filler song to just fill time. Well, here's what I'll say. That particular song, you could tell like the last 10 seconds of it. I think that they were doing like the whole first part of it, two thirds of it. It was all um, like them jamming and shit. But I think that they added Richard Swift in there because that sounded like it was the three of them kind of singing and playing and gotcha. harmonizing and all it's, that shit. It felt to me like <clears throat> like something that they maybe jammed like one time, like not planning on it being a song. Yeah. And like I said, I wasn't trying to say that to like take a, a fucking shot at them or anything. Yeah. It just, it feels like it was just so purely simple and short, which isn't bad. Yeah. But to me, it felt just like, you know, maybe something that they came up with and they were just like, oh, well, need a little space to fill it. Like, let's just throw it in there. Here's what my theory is. I think probably a lot of these songs, they wrote with Richard Swift and they're trying to weave him in where they can so his money, so his family probably gets the money from it. Like that one, there was probably only three seconds at the end where he was doing the background vocals. Yeah. But I think that's what it is. Like some of the shorter ones have probably him playing on them. Got it. Okay. That would be my guess. Interesting theory. Here is... Here is uh, Sporting Girls interlude and Love Doesn't Live Here Anymore. They're, they kind of like bleed into each other. Cool. So. Uh, most girls are not sporting girls. Uh, that go out with a man are looking for more than money. They're looking for security. And sporting girls aren't looking for security because they, they don't particularly care. They just want to get their money to get in and get out. Close this door 
kind of reminds me of uh turn blue a little bit did you ever listen to that black keys album um what when did it come out that was probably 2014 or 2015 i think 2014 is when it when it came out i'll be honest that's when i moved to tennessee and that's about that's about the time that's around the time that i stopped listening to the to the black keys as much Mm -hmm. you know that's um on that tour is when they started recording the first uh the first Arcs album, because Richard Swift was playing bass on that tour. Oh, nice. Yeah, because Richard Swift, he played bass for a time for the Black Keys live. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they were demoing and shit like that. I don't know if they actually went into studios. I'm sure they did. But most of uh, the first Arcs album was recorded at the Diamond Mine in New York, which is where a lot of like... Charles Bradley and no, Lee Fields wow, okay. and all of them recorded at um, with all of the Daptone players. Yeah. And Tommy uh, Tommy Brennick, who's the guitar player and Minahan Street Band, which is the band Leon Michaels, Homer Steinwise and Nick Mofshone are in together. Um, they recorded at that studio and D- Tommy played maybe on one or two songs on uh, on the first record. But the same thing with this one. I know they recorded at Easy Eye Sound and also at the Diamond Mind. Or the Diamond Mine, excuse me. Um, but yeah, Leon Michaels himself, I haven't really talked much about him, but I'm a, I'm a huge fan of him as well. He does uh, L. Michaels uh, Affair as well, which is his solo band. And uh, he released a couple of albums. I think two albums. They're all Wu-Tang Clan cover songs <laughs> but instrumental versions of it hell yeah and nick and That's homer cool. and uh a couple other of the music musicians that run in that circle play on that album that's awesome yeah um here is the final song on the record it is called only one for me Suspect. 
That one's uh, kind of dark. Yeah, weird way to kind of end the album, honestly. I was reading about that song, and it was a collaboration with David Berman. I think he was in the band Silver Juice, and originally he wrote the song and sent it to Dan, and there's some other ARCs collaborations that he's done. Okay. Um, but that... What's sad, um, listening to it, is that uh, David Berman killed himself like a month after his album Purple Mountains came out. Um, And this is like uh, one of the tracks that was on the album that he and Dan were emailing back and forth about. And this was a song that he wanted to be an ARC song. So I think this one is kind of a tribute to Richard Swift. He plays drums on that. And then David Berman, who are both dead now oh shit wow yeah kind of heavy yeah but speaking of heaviness me the poptimist will be releasing an ep this friday 
from the Lost in a Glimpse short film. It'll be up on Apple Music, Spotify, wherever you can find music it's going to be at. I got a lot of cool stuff in the works right now. Uh, Pretty soon, um, it will be released on a podcast. I did a theme for Lauren Gomez, last week's guest, for her Soul Fit podcast. Um, And then we got some other stuff in the works, some stuff I can't talk heavily about, but Tarantino Night is one of those things. Yes, it is a thing, Tarantino Night. It'll be a Poptimist Eat Sleep Rock collab. So Do you be- want to just explain, like, I mean, we can talk a little bit about, like, what Tarant because, I mean, Tarantino Night doesn't say a lot. Sure, yeah. Uh, so, basically, what I'm going to be doing is throwing together a band of different players, and we're going to be covering songs from Quentin Tarantino soundtracks. And then we'll have different singers join us. Uh, I'll leave uh, some surprises. I won't say who's going to be playing or joining yet, but... We're going to be doing that, and it was kind of influenced by Led Zeppelin night and the success that you had with that. Yeah, and I'm excited to do more projects uh, similar to it, different in their own ways as well, of course. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Branch out and try something different. And for a long time, it's it's been honestly my dream to do some kind of tribute to Quentin Tarantino. Yeah. Because I feel like as an artist... He's almost a bigger influence than, than anybody on me. Um, and I've always really related to him as a director the way that I try and be as a producer. Where it's like I don't necessarily want a starring role, but the music and the words are the starring role. And I want to cast the right actors, the right players, the right singers to right. bring the script to life. Yeah, you're concocting a you know, a truly unforgettable performance. Trying to. Yeah. Doesn't always turn out that way, but yeah. when well, the magic yeah, that, happens, That's it does. the goal with, uh, I feel like that's the approach we're taking with Tarantino Night. Oh, yeah, 100%. And it does have a name, but we're not going to say we're what not gonna it is. We're not going to reveal, we're not going to reveal that yet. So keep your ear to the ground in coming months, uh, because I'm coming out of retirement. I'm back, baby. <laughs> Hell yeah. Uh, D- uh, Danny, what do you got that you're working on right now? Anything in particular? Um, Any shows coming up in February? So we've got, you know, first Thursday of the month at Kimbrough's, uh, Kimbrough's Bacon Parlor. Out do you in have Franklin. a band for that yet? Um, I do have two bands right now. Uh, <laughs> I know this is bad, but uh, their names are escaping me right at this moment. So, um, but if you come, uh, this. It's uh is that this Thursday? Jesus Christ. It's this Christ. Thursday, yeah. Jesus Christ. Yeah, this Thursday at Kimbrough's Pick and Parlor, we will have uh some music there and then um you know, that's the first Thursday of every month and then um you know, I've got some other things. We're working at on some dates um for some shows at the East Room. Um I don't have any like confirmed details about that, but um really trying to push kind of like doing some east nashville stuff this year would love 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 to do something at the basement east um so things to come potentially where can people find you at find me on instagram at shooting the shit or you can find uh eat sleep rock nashville uh, on instagram at eat sleep rock nashville you can also visit our website www.esrnashville.com uh you can email me 
You can call Nashville Carpet Cleaning if you want your carpets cleaned. Uh, Those are pretty much all the ways. Well, fuck yeah, dude. Thanks for joining me. Yeah, dude. This was fun. This was fun. It was kind of a different episode for the Poptimist. Yeah, but it was nice. I, I like sitting here listening to music. Keep on dreaming. I'll see you next week. When you're here, you're family. When you're here, you're queer. Check, check. Check one, two. Check one, two. Stay in school. Check. Hit the bong.